I invite you to take your Bibles and find the Old Testament book of Haggai. And we're going to be today in chapter 2 for this New Year's message. And we're going to consider verses 1 through 9 in a message entitled, Work, God is with you. A new year has dawned. A new year ahead is always a time of anticipation, hope, and possibilities. But it is also filled with uncertainties. Our text today is in the book of Haggai in the Old Testament. The name Haggai is probably an abbreviated form of the phrase Festival of Yahweh. It's thought that he may have been born on the day of a major feast in Israel and was given that name by the Lord and by his parents according to the calling that he would have on his life. Haggai recorded four messages to the people in Jerusalem in 520 B.C. Eighteen years had passed since they had begun the return from exile in Babylon in 538 B.C. So just to get a little bit of context about Haggai's life, he was an older man at this point. He's looking back on the glories of the nation And he has a passionate desire to see his people rise from the ashes of exile. He wanted them to live in their rightful place as God's people. And he wanted them to be a light to the nations. But in order to do that, they were going to have to be obedient to what God was calling them to do. And faithful to follow him with their lives. You see, the exile in Babylon had humbled them. In 586 B.C., the Babylonians overtook Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They took most of the Jews into exile. And after uh, 50 years had passed, Cyrus the Persian took Babylon and then brought the Babylonian Empire to an end. The next year, he allowed the Jews to return to their homeland and to begin the rebuilding of the temple at Jerusalem. Now, of course, all of this was according to the sovereign hand of God, guiding the process and in fulfillment of prophecy that God had given to his people. They had hope when they came back to the promised land, but something happened. They became discouraged by opposition in rebuilding the temple, and they quit. The enemies of Judah tried to infiltrate the ranks of the builders, and then they tried to use scare tactics. So now, 16 years later, Haggai tells them that their lack of food and clothing and shelter was because they did not finish rebuilding the temple and the people were responsive to the message that he delivered. You might remember back quite well, three uh, years ago now, in January of 2020, many churches were ready with their 2020 vision emphases. We were filled with anticipation about the year that was ahead. And then in March of 2020, the world pretty much came to a halt. Now, we've learned much since then about missteps that were made and information that was given and all that goes along with that. But one thing we can say for sure is that none of us had ever experienced anything quite like that. And in the years that have passed, we've all learned some difficult lessons about what worked, what didn't, and so on. Books and doctoral dissertations will be written in the years to come 
about generational impacts on life and public health and the economy and education and the church and more. And I would say even today, damage assessments are incomplete. In churches, some simply tried to uh, redo or replicate what was lost. Nearly everybody wanted to make improvements on the way that things had been done. Some wanted things to be very different. But one thing is sure, studies have shown that church life is far from being back to normal, whatever normal was. Uh, Clay Stouffer wrote a piece entitled, The Pandemic's Lasting Impact on Churches, just this last month. And he noted that most churches across America, according to statistics, are now somewhere between 55 and 80% of pre-pandemic in-person church attendance. Many who were marginally committed to the church have not and will not come back. Their Sundays are now filled with something else. Many now believe, apparently, that attending church once a month constitutes regular church attendance. Faith, for some, has become a matter of convenience rather than a matter of commitment. Thankfully, as a church, we've experienced some positive outcomes from it. We have intentionally focused uh, and refocused our ministries. Because of your determined generosity, we've continued our mission support the entire time. We've begun to re-engage steadily in our in-person mission efforts. Uh, events and gatherings for our church have been highly successful over the past year. People want to be together. And God is blessing us with many younger families and children. The church has continued in generosity, and we've made major progress toward some of our goals as a church, like retiring our remaining church debt. And further, we are steadily trending upward in nearly every numeric category uh, together. And I think even today, this January the 1st worship, this joint worship that we're having together is a testimony to your faithfulness. But what I would say to you is that there is much work ahead as a church. Our lives and our service to God in the church and in his kingdom are dynamic. They're always changing. We are in the river of God's will. We are not standing in a reservoir. We are in a fast-flowing, fast-moving, swiftly-running river. We're right in the middle of it. And we want to keep up with what God is doing in our midst. Elizabeth Elliot said, New Year's Day is a good time to fix one's eyes on the only one who knows what the year is to hold. Now Haggai chapter 2 and verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and to the remnant of the people. We are introduced here to two leading figures in Jerusalem during those days. Zerubbabel, who was the governor of Jerusalem and a descendant of the last legitimate ruler of Judah in Jeconiah, and then Joshua, who was the high priest. Unlike most of the prophets, Haggai specifically dates his prophecies. In fact, he dates his prophecies with precision down to the day. 
And this puts Haggai among the first of the post-exilic minor prophets. Of the 12 minor prophets, nine gave their prophecies before the people went into exile. And the last three, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, spoke to those who returned. The messages encouraged the people of Judah to finish the rebuilding of the temple and to hope in God because all of their hope, any hope that they could hold on to, was according to the promises of God in the future. And the temple had always represented the presence of God among the people. It had always represented the place of worship since it was instituted. And it was important that they do what God said. So how can we work, and as we work in the Lord's work, know that God is with us? We are standing on a foundation of grace. It is God's unmerited favor. We cannot work to gain favor to be saved under the directions of God. But we can work because we have been saved and we can live according to the grace that God has given us and we can be filled with the Spirit as we do it. And we can work and know that God is with us, first of all, because God helps us identify problems. God helps us identify problems. Now you'll note here in Haggai, especially back in Haggai chapter 1, that the prophet pointed out that the people who returned from exile had one problem. They had forgotten God. And when they forgot God, you know what they did? They chose to focus on their own interest. They made excuses that the time had not yet come for rebuilding. And they were discouraged. And the rebuilding of the temple was not going to be easy. But nothing that God calls us to does he tell us it's going to be easy. Because we are living in a sin-fallen world. We're in the midst of a spiritual war. And it's not going to be easy. But God will help us identify the problems along the way. And the reason that the rebuilding of the temple would be difficult is they were in a land that was now desolate. The work was hard. They didn't have a lot of money or even manpower as far as the scale of it was concerned. They were suffering a drought. They had enemies resisting the work. And all they could think about were the easier times back in Babylon. You ever notice that sometimes happens to us when we, we face a challenge before us and we really got to dig in and we've really got to work and we really got to think about what we're doing and we really got to lean in and press forward to what God has before us. And all we can think about some easier time that was in the past. We get bogged down in it and we think, well, it'd just be better if I was in this time or this place or this season of life. And yet God tells us to press on. So the message of the prophet from God was that it was time for them to consider their ways. Haggai 1 and verse 5 and 7 in particular. And what Haggai chose to do was to focus on their sin and on their disobedience. He wanted them to recognize that they were placing their own interest before the Lord's interest in their own safety and security over what God wanted them to do. So here was the problem. The problem was their priorities. They should have felt no rest at all until the work of God was as prosperous as their personal lives. And I think this is a call for us today to evaluate our priorities. 
Where are we investing our resources and our energies and our efforts? And are we giving our very best to the Lord? Commentator Matthew Poole said, Haggai seems to intimate that some of them had more than one house, a city and a country house, while God's house lay waste. They were lavish in their own wealth, spending it on private worldly conveniences, but yet they weren't taking care of God's house. He says, do you owe so much to yourselves and so little to God? Now for verse 3 of chapter 2. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? Now follow here because Haggai asked three questions. Question number one is who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? Haggai spoke around 66 years after the temple was destroyed. Surely there were some older people among them who had seen Solomon's temple in its former glory. You remember no expense had been spared. And yet here they were. And as Boyce said, gone was the glory of the former kingdom and temple. Gone was the great population. All that was left was the rubble of Jerusalem, the remnant of the people, and the task of restoration. And yet we're reminded, it is often when we are brought to nothing that God does his greatest works. Is it not more challenging for us when we're living in a moment of prosperity? When we're living in the moment of glory, sometimes that's even more challenging for us. But when God brings us to nothing... And he shows us that he is all we have and all we need, that we really realize what we have. It's a significant change in our perspective. But then there's a second question. How do you see it now? When they saw the comparison, they may have been tempted to be drawn back to the good old days and not work hard in the present day. The enemy wants to discourage us so that we will give up. But even the best work of Solomon fell short of the fullness of God's glory. And this is the thread that is coming out of this, that there is nothing that human hands can make that will ultimately compare to the glory of our great God. But even so, when God calls us to do something, we ought to do it for his glory, and it ought to be in the best measure that we possibly can. And we ought to work because we know that the Lord is with us. He asked a third question. Is it not as nothing in your eyes? They would not be helped by comparison. They needed to focus on the moment and what God had placed before them. And I think in summary, these three questions are actually rhetorical. And God wanted them to face the fact that the temple they were rebuilding was not going to initially be as splendid as Solomon's. And when the foundation of the second temple was laid, some who had known the former temple wept with joy at the thought that they could again have the blessings that had been available in Solomon's temple. And it was evident during the construction that this temple built in poverty was not going to have the same splendor, but the Lord is assuring the people here that something greater is at hand. Ezra the priest who oversaw the rebuilding of the temple referenced Haggai and 
Ezra 5 and verse 1 and 2, and listen to what he says. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of of Jozadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Now there's an application here for us. Haggai called the people to rebuild the temple. The problem that they were facing was that they had misplaced priorities and they were more concerned about their own interest than they were concerned about the things of God. A problem today among some professing Christians is misplaced priorities. Some people are more concerned about their own interest than they are the things of God. And I say to you today, on this New Year's 2023, be sure to get your priorities in order. Because your priorities will determine the direction of your life. Haggai 1 in verse 5, the Lord of armies said to them, think carefully about your ways. Maybe that's the message God has for you in this time of worship. Think carefully about your ways. Consider where you are. Consider what your priorities are. And then second, we can work and know that God is with us because God commands us to respond to problems. Now let's look at verse 4. Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work, for I am with you, the declaration of the Lord of armies. Now verse 5. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. God was faithful to give the leaders and the people of Israel clear commands. And each of these were essential to getting the work done. Great things are not accomplished without something actually happening. So when God says to do something, somebody's got to get up and do something. And I tell you often that what we do together as a church is called the work of the ministry because it's work. Somebody's got to respond to what God is calling us to do. It's the same in your individual life. If you want to grow in your faith and you want to become more like Jesus and you want to have a more effective Christian life, You've got to respond to where God is leading you and what he's calling you to do. And the reminder here is to be strong or take courage. It means to have a frame of mind which enables you to pursue or to initiate something with diligence and fervor. God had told his people to be strong as they positioned themselves. You remember in the wilderness wandering and and when they prepared to enter the promised land? The wilderness was a harsh and difficult place. They meandered from place to place for years by their own doing. But then they found themselves standing on the edge of the promised land. All that God had said was going to happen was right in front of them. And uh, in those days, Moses, their experienced wilderness guide, had had passed away. And and standing between them and their long-hoped-for future was a wall of water, the mighty Jordan River. 
And if that wasn't bad enough, based upon previous scouting reports, the land that was ahead was full of mighty warriors and fortified cities. What were they going to do? Moses was dead. Joshua had been chosen to fill his shoes. What would they do? And would they even dream to think of better days and to possess the land? And back in Joshua 1 and verse 9, he said, Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Christian, I want you to know today, you don't have to be afraid. You can be strong and courageous because the Lord your God is with you wherever you may go. He's with you every step of the way. And that's the greatest strength that we could have is to have God with us as our strength. Ephesians 6 and verse 10 says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. To be strong literally means to be strengthened. It's actually a passive term because it's primarily not about building up our own strength. It's primarily about being empowered by the strength that God gives us. So he's not saying, listen, you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps here. He's not saying you really need to, to get some strength from within. This is not the the, the power of positive thinking that he's referencing here. He's talking about leaning on the strength that you already have been given by God. And then he says, as you lean on that strength, work. And Haggai does not deny the reality of the present situation. Hey, he can look around and see that there are mounds of rubble. He knows the contrast with the past. He knows the task that is ahead. And yet he says, work. And they were to work because of a divine guarantee. They could accomplish all that God called them to. You can work according to a divine guarantee in that you will accomplish everything God wants you to accomplish. You may not accomplish everything you want to accomplish, but you will accomplish everything God wants you to accomplish. And I fully believe that all of us are given this opportunity in life. We're, we're given this period of time between our birth and our death, and it's our opportunity to do all that God created us to be and saved us to be and empowered us to be and all the things that we glorify in Him. And the question is, what are we doing with it? Are we spending it on ourselves? Are we just caught up in our own self-interest only? Or are we committed to the things of God? He says, I am with you. Haggai's method was like that of Elisha the prophet who was trapped. You remember with his servant in Dothan when the Syrian army with his forces and chariots surrounded the city. Elisha did not deny that they were there. But he saw the greater reality of the horses of ch and chariots of fire. And he said to his terrified servant, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That's basically what Haggai is saying. Listen, don't worry about the opposition. Don't worry about those people that tried to infiltrate you. Don't worry about the piles of rubble. Don't worry about what happened when you were back there in exile. Just work. And don't be afraid because you have no reason to fear. And maybe today fear has gripped you and there's something in your life that has caused anxiety to rise up to a special level in your life. And it's something serious and it's something that is real. I'm here to tell you, you do not have to be afraid. You can be sober-minded about it. You can feel the weight of it. 
You can be concerned about it, and rightly so, but you do not have to be afraid because the Lord your God is with you, and he will be with you. He will not leave you. Now, there's an application here for us. The call to rebuild the temple would require strength, work, and trusting in the presence and the power of God. God calls you to be strong and to work because he is with you and you have nothing to fear. You can evaluate present realities from the perspective of future promises. Let me say that again. You can evaluate present realities in your life from the perspective of future promises. And there has never been a promise that God has made that he has not kept. And there will never be a promise that God has made that he will not keep in your life. Third, we can work and know that God is with us because God helps us, promises to help us solve problems. Pick back up in verse 6. For the Lord of armies says this, Once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. Verse 8, the silver and gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of armies. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. I'm often captured by that phrase in the Old Testament. You'll find it a lot in the, in the writings of the prophets. It, it will be this continual uh, reminder of who God is as the Lord of armies. The Lord of armies says this. The Lord of armies promises that. The Lord of armies is going to do this. Listen, when you read the Lord of armies in a phrase, you can just highlight it. You can underline it. You can circle it. You can do whatever you want to do. But here's what it is. It is a promise that God is going to do what he says every single time. And he says here, I will shake the heavens, the earth, the sea, the dry land, and the nations. Now, interestingly, this is the only portion of Haggai that is quoted in the New Testament. You'll find the reference to it in Hebrews 12 and verse 26. It speaks of God's intention to shake the present order in a coming day of judgment. The treasures of all the nations or the desire of all the nations, depending on how it's translated in, in the copy of God's word that you have in front of you, is Jesus. That's what it is. That's who it is. Even if all the nations do not yet know him, the treasure of all the nations, the desire of all the nations is Jesus. You know what this ought to do for us? This ought to compel us to take the gospel to the nations because the promise is that People from every tribe, tongue, and nation will come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And God will shake it to the very foundations. And the silver and gold belong to me, says the Lord of armies. The people did not need to be discouraged about resources for the rebuilding project. They just had to boldly trust God. And you know what I found in my life, and I hope you found in yours as well? Trusting God grows our generosity. I, I, in fact, I believe there's a direct correlation. 
I think people who trust God the most are the most generous in their lives. I'm not just talking about money. Money's part of it. Money's a, it's a barometer. It, it, it tells us something, but it's just part of it. But we ought to live generous lives in a way that we want to help other people. We want to build other people up. We want to be a blessing to other people. That ought to be the first thing that crosses our minds is, is how can we help somebody else? How can we encourage somebody else? How can we pray for somebody else? How can we lift them up in the Lord? And, and that's what we ought to be focused on. And I pray that that would increase in your life as we go into this new year, that it would not be all about you, but you would say, God, how could my life be a blessing to other people? Like when people see you coming, they think, here comes a blessing. Because this person loves God and they're, they're going to love me and they're going to be gracious to me in my life. And even if they tell me something that's hard to hear or something that I really didn't want to listen to, they're going to tell me that because they love me and they care about me and they want me to be blessed as well. And I think generosity is connected to trusting God. But then he says, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. Haggai prophesied of a future temple that would surpass Solomon's in glory and splendor and would be the place where the Lord would give his people peace. And this prophecy will be fulfilled even yet in the future. In this place, I will give peace. This is shalom, the establishment of a lasting righteousness and order. Only the Messiah upon his return can bring a lasting peace to the world. And the Lord is going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and all the nations when he returns in glory and when he establishes his kingdom. His house will indeed be filled with glory and the desire of all the nations will be fulfilled. Now here's the application point for us among others. Haggai pointed in part to the completion of the temple in the short term. That's obvious. But we can look to a future hope in the return and in the eternal presence of the Messiah. So I say this to you as I come toward a close. God specializes in taking a problem, overcoming it by his power, and fulfilling his promises. The fulfillment of this prophecy is literally fulfilled in stages. Track with me here on the outline. Within months of the prophecy, as it says in a little while, Darius, the ruler of the nations of the world, paid for the expenses of the rebuilding of the temple, according to Ezra 6 and verse 8. So they had all they needed to both rebuild the temple and furnish the temple. God provided everything they needed. And then second, about 60 years later, Artaxerxes, the ruler of the nations of the world, gave treasures for the temple, according to Ezra chapter 7. He himself gave silver and gold, and verse 16 speaks of all the silver and gold in the whole province of Babylonia being available. And then, still hundreds of years later, Herod made this temple literally more glorious than Solomon's, and it became a true wonder in the ancient world. But the ultimate fulfillment of this, the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecy is yet in the future. Revelation 21 and verse 26 says, they will bring into the new Jerusalem the glory and honor of the nations. 
I think, tying back to Haggai 2 and a number of other scriptures. You say, why did God give us all this? This is a historical story. It's in context of the return from exile. It's about the people of Israel. Why is he telling us all this? Because he wants to encourage us. That's why. He wants to remind us. Man, when I look at a story like this and I read this, I tell you what rises up from it. What rises up from us is that we serve a faithful God. We serve a God who always does what he says he will do. And this applies to us directly in this moment. In the varied circumstances of life that we all experience, we can know that God is here. And when the Lord of armies is on your side, you have nothing to fear. You have all the strength that you need. You have all the provision that you need to get through this life and to flourish in the things of God. So I ask you this question in closing. Will you make the most of the new year? Or will it just be another year that you just muddle through and just get through it the best you can? Or will you intently lean into your faith, rest in the grace that God superabundantly gives to you through his son Jesus Christ, and live in a way that honors him? Now, there's one thing for sure. If you don't have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, you can't do that. That's the starting point. The gospel is the starting point. The treasure of the nations, Jesus, is the starting point. And if you didn't understand any of the complexities of the background, the story, and everything else that I just told, your starting point is Jesus. Understanding God is holy, we are sinners, and God intervenes on our behalf, and he did so by sending his only son, Jesus, to this world to live and to die and to now live again. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, when we repent of our sins and we trust in Jesus by faith, we can be saved. You can be saved today. If you're not a Christian, you want to be a Christian, today could be the day that your life changes, not just for a new year, but your life changes for eternity if you'll just trust him but for the rest of us let's make a commitment to be who God created and redeemed us to be and let's live life in such a way that people see Jesus in us that we are a different people because we are a changed people let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray Pastor Eric's going to come and close out the service. But I want you to reflect on uh, what I've just shared with you, and especially the points of application. Really think about where you are right now in your spiritual walk. You might pretty much have it together and be pressing on like uh, the scripture that we read from the Apostle Paul. Or, Or you might be a mess. Your life might pretty much be a train wreck if everybody knew the details of it. That's how we would see it because that's how you see it. Friend, I'm here to tell you today that God's the God of new beginnings. You're not defined by your yesterday. You're defined by God's tomorrow. He will work in your life if you will find your rest in him. Father, we're so grateful today that everything you've said 
can be counted on. I pray that we would surrender ourselves afresh and anew as we go into a new year, not just business as usual, but that we would grow in our faith and we would grow in our likeness of Jesus. We would grow in our life generosity and that people would see Jesus, our Savior, in us. Make us that kind of a church that that we live as a changed people, a thankful people who are overwhelmed by your grace. So we give this time of close and commitment over to you. Uh, Lord, move in people's hearts as you see fit. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.